Welcome to Disc Integration. This is your host, Tim. This is Matt. And this week we're here to discuss the discography of The Cure, the album Blood Flowers. But before we get into that, you got anything to talk about this week, Matt? Not that I can think of. I actually have disc golf-related content. Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> Quite a rarity on this disc golf slash cure podcast. I mean, yeah, because it's cold out. The cold never bothered me anyway. <laughs> and now I can't record with Tim anymore. <laughs> But if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that our most hated course by far is, uh... Damn, Southwoods. Southwoods, yep. God, I forgot you went back there. Everybody hates Southwoods. Yeah, I called Matt probably about 10.30 on Saturday because I was headed that way. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go play that today. And I knew if I at least told somebody I was going to do it, I wouldn't back down on it. So I called Matt and said, hey, you want to go? Because, you know, he lives out there. Why don't you give him your address? Out that way. Matt didn't go because he was hungover. But I did, and you know what? When you don't have to deal with uh, <laughs> shitty-ass thorns and the underbrush that was out there and everything else. Oh, so it's actually like... It's a fun little course. It's taken care of. No, not that. Everything's dead. Oh! All the stuff that bothered the shit out of us in a summer play is dead. It's just not there. I mean, uh-huh. there's some stray, but you can make your way around, because we lost this because it was so thick we couldn't get in. But no, it's all dead, so right now it's not a big deal. short, yeah. That top hill at one. Yep. And then the hill across the way, too. Going up hill two is kind of slippery, kind of a climb. Oh, I bet, yeah. Because people are using it for sledding, and that's genius, because it looks like a great place to sled. that would be a crazy sled. (laughs) Yeah. I got three pars on the day. Holy cow. Yeah, no, I had a great game, and I had a great time. So I guess I should adjust my score for winter play at some point. I guess, yeah. I'd bring it up to a whole (laughs) 1.5. Because unless you all go back out during wintertime, I still think it'll be probably miserable in the summer. Anyways, I guess we're really here to talk about the cure. But before we get to that, (laughs) we have our weekly match play. This is a segment where we pick a song title, and then we have this week a triple threat between three bands that all wrote a song with a similar title. Gasoline. Gasoline. And here are the bands. Halsey, No Cash, and Seether. All right, who'd you start with? <clears throat> I listened to them in that order. Oh, did you? Mine are switched on Seether and No Cash, so I guess let's talk about Halsey. All right. Uh, as far as my notes on Halsey, as we all know, my listening here is more for vocals and lyrics, and they have, I mean, heard interesting vocals, good lyrics. I Honestly, going into this, I was like, Halsey is not my music. Right. But I enjoyed the song overall. Mine were, uh, you know, I do more stream of conscious just while I'm yeah. listening to type shit up. I like the cover art. It looks very 90s indie style. It reminds me of something yep. you'd buy off Matador Records. That makes sense. As soon as she started singing, like, oh, I, I know this singer from somewhere. They use her, one of her songs at the intermissions that I watched. Oh, yeah. And I think it's like one of the songs they use, like, all right, two minutes, we're about to start this, but, you know. Yeah, and then they... I like the intro, the first verse, the quiet part of the song with the Asian stylings but yeah. in the background. The bleeps and bloops. <laughs> They're always fun. They sound like something from a U2 song. So oh, okay. that always goes well for it. And, you know, honestly, the quite loud, quiet structure that the song uses mm-hmm. isn't different than, like, the Pixies or the Nirvana. Or the Nirvana. The Nirvana. <laughs> or like Nirvana does. Or did. Or did. <laughs> I liked it enough that I gave it a second listen. Huh? Because I only usually listen to these once a piece. Yeah. The lyrics are the one thing that I notice Because, you know, they're pretty prominent. This is a little more, it's a pop song. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics, I think, would never grow on me and would push me away from the music uh, yeah. eventually. So, you know, not bad. And then you had No Cash? 
Uh, yep. Well, let's go with it anyways. I can't pick it, but I can always talk about yeah. it. <laughs> this is probably in my top 20 albums of all time, which at some point I'll have to listen back and be like, you named 50 <laughs> albums and we're in your top 20, I guess. <laughs> I don't think there's a single bad song on this album. Crack Rock Steady, the punk rock subgenre that this kind of falls into, is it's got to be my favorite version of punk rock this is their first and only album so i think that's impressive oh. when you listen to it ragefield anti-establishment punk rock suitable for all ages i mean i that's one of my one of my notes is pretty standard angry anti-the man sound <laughs> very much is, yeah. <laughs> that's all you got to say about no cash yeah really Jeez, it just man. didn't hit my ear quite right which is, I mean... I'm going to fucking hit your ear quite right in a minute. Those fight words in this house. Right? <laughs> Seether. This song, I didn't research it any. But it's definitely from the late 90s or early oh, 2000s. Yeah. 100%. The thing about this music, and I know I listen to punk rock. I'm oversimplifying this genre in general. But I honestly can't tell the difference between any of these late 90, 2000 bands that play this style of, I don't know, hardcore metal. It's not hardcore. It's not. It's metal-ish. And another thing, too, is I think a lot of it is the effects that they use on vocals. Because I think they make all these singers in these bands, like Stain, Incubus, this band. Yeah. I know we've listened to at least one or two more doing these match plays. Make all the singers sound so similar. Yep. That it starts to sound generic. So I think maybe a lot of it's that. I think maybe if I heard some of these bands live, I'd feel differently. Yeah, I think that's... that. See, there, I mean, this is just this is the sound of the 90s, like the late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. I don't even want to call it like heavy... It's like heavy rock. Metal. I mean, they're almost doing like power ballads, really. Yeah. A lot of the times. So they're almost like hair metal with just, like, they're heavier. Yeah. Maybe they are descendants of hair metal. All right, so who'd you pick, Matt? Honestly, I picked Halsey. Yeah, I did too. I only <laughs> could pick out of two, and then I just ranted about the yeah. other one for three yeah. minutes. So good for you, Halsey. Winner of the Triple Threat. On go. to Blood Flowers. This album was released on my birthday in the year 2000. Wow. Robert Smith announced that Blood Flowers would be The Cure's last album and would be the end of a trilogy that included pornography and disintegration. The album charted at 16 on the Billboard Top 200 and was nominated for a Grammy in the Best Alternative Music Album in 2001. It was beaten out by Kid A from Radiohead. The other nominees were Fiona Apple, Beck, and of course, indie heartthrob, Paul McCartney. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Reviews were mixed. Sputnik Music said the whole album is pretty much tedious, quiet acoustic songs. And The Cure trying to recreate past glories, but the passion is gone. Entertainment Weekly, on the other hand, said it is one of the band's most affecting works. It received an A-minus from Entertainment Weekly, 2.5 stars from Rolling Stone, 7.5 out of 10 from Pitchfork, and 2.5 stars from the Los Angeles Times. This album is pretty much the first one released where internet had like broad penetration. Oh, okay, yeah. So I've been looking forward to this release because you can go back and see what people were saying when back the album the released. Day, yeah. yeah, so I was curious to see what fans had to say. These are all like various just kind of short quips from various people combined together. So February 2000, if this is the end, what a sad, beautiful way to go. I have listened to Blood Flowers straight through five times already. Blood Flowers is classic, all caps, cure. A purchase worth its weight in donuts, I'd say. What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand how people can give five stars to this album. Fairly positive all around other than that last jackass. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Jump on the hype train for at least a few days, buddy. Right. March 2000. An album never smelled more of finality. Though this is not the cure at their best, this, this album, were it to be the last, is one hell of a blaze of glory. Unfortunately... Blood Flowers lacks the emotional intensity of both pornography and disintegration. 
This album does not even come close to the magic conveyed in Disintegration. I wonder how Robert Smith's hair will look when he's 60. You know what's great? Huh? We know. We do. What his yeah. hair looks like at <laughs> 60. April 2000. Blood Flowers surely blooms. <laughs> By far their best work since Disintegration. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> Vintage Cure makes you realize why you started listening to The Cure in the first place. Fresh and Bloody Hot. A great masterpiece. Their best in a long time. People love this album in April. Apparently. Yeah, no. Like, what I could find, I couldn't find any like negative ones because I was trying to keep it yeah, fairly balanced balance, to what yeah. I was reading all around. May 2000. This plotting album amply illustrates why Robert's career ran out of steam. Laziness with vocals and undisciplined playing. You're all in denial. This is a very weak collection of tracks. Blood of Flowers is not only one of their best albums, but it's one of their best albums ever made. It's not a five-star album, but it's not a one-star either. So by May, though, yeah. it seems like the, you know, it had fallen down. The hype had gone away. Apparently, yeah. So on to the album. First track, Out of This World. It starts a little quiet for me, but it does this, I mean, it does the standard build-up intro. Like It does. It reminded me of uh, some of the acoustic songs on Wild Mood Swings. Yep. Kind of standard acoustic affair, but mm-hmm. with a twist of the cure. It's a solid album opener. Yep. I mean, if this is what the album becomes the rest of the way. Oh, I meant to preface. I always do the research after I've listened to the album and written down what I have to say. If I had known some things that I learned from the research, some things I might have just my opinion on. I'll kind of... Right. I can point out when that occurs. Anyways, back to what I was talking about. I'm glad that they went with the acoustic songs from Wild Mood Swings rather than Club America style. Yeah. If that's where they're going to go yeah, with this album. Gonna, if they were going to take any insight from Wild, wild Mood Swings. Absolutely. God, Club America. Uh, with this one, you know, sometimes they so subtly add the instruments in that it takes me a minute to realize, like, went into the wall sound sort of thing yep. that I've talked about before. All of a sudden, I heard a sound, but then I was like, no, man, they've been playing that instrument for ten minutes. I've been focused over here on this. Yeah, thing. yeah. It is always great when they do that. I mean, it's almost like uh, every time you listen, there's, there's always something kind of new that you find with these style of Cure songs. I will say, in my standard, I read the lyrics while listening to the songs. <laughs> oh, yeah, I still didn't try that. The, and it's probably good that you didn't, because you would have had some insight because reading through the lyrics on this makes it sound like it's the end whether it i mean it, it kind of feels like the end of an era though not the end of the cure in general right. hey we're trying something new next time next was watching me fall this one was a pretty straighthead rock song yep this is one of the times he uses the uh accusatory style vocals yes <laughs> you know what i mean like we, yep. he's clearly speaking to someone in particular yeah so far with these first two songs it seems like a more refined version of wild mood swings very much, yeah. Because Wild Mood Swings had the acoustic-y ones, which were probably a little weaker than Out of This World. Yep. And the straight-ahead rock songs were definitely weaker than Watching Watching Me Fall. Oh, yeah. I will say, this is an 11-minute song. Is it? Yeah. Damn, I didn't even notice. It is just over 11 minutes. I did I not had. I, I listened notice. to this song a few times just to... Because I always, I always give them crap for the really long songs. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they got me because I did but, not even notice at yeah. all. Holy crap. But I don't think you... I, there is no way to shorten this song to make it sound the same way it does. No. <laughs> Holy moly. And it, it does go by a lot faster than 11 And I minutes. was pretty engaged listening to the song because yeah. I, I was just doing research and stuff about The Cure, so that's all I was focused on, really. Well, I'm even more impressed by that song now. Yeah. Where the Birds Always Sing. Tambourine? Symbol? Something in the beginning? Yeah. That, well, I didn't notice that so much as I, that little guitar... 
yep. riff that they start with gets stuck in your head real quick. Oh yeah, no, that was that was a good one. This is also sort of the straighty head rocky song, but they've got the orchestral parts and some piano in and it. The, the layering of the sounds yeah. at the beginning, yeah, and a very uh, cure guitar solos in there too. Like, yep. Oh yeah, you can. No mistaking who this is. This one I have paid attention to the lyrics on. Yeah. Because I started singing along to them, and I kind of hate the lyrics. You're already goth, but the world is neither fair or unfair, and the world is neither just. It just feels a little cliche. It's the the cynical, lyrical (laughs) delivery with the gothy vocal. I I don't think anybody takes you seriously because, like, okay, goth kid. (laughs) Way to really be that stereotypical, (laughs) you know. But it's a great song overall. Well, I mean, maybe not great, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe someday. I'm not going to lie. I got lost in this song. (laughs) Got lost? Literally, I I listened to this a couple of times and couldn't take more than a couple of notes because I just started listening to the song as opposed to taking notes. I like Smith's vocals in this one. He does a mix of the accusatory, but also some some pleading there at the end. Mm -hmm. This is one of those songs where it seems like they're in agreement that musically... This isn't going to be as strong, so the vocals are going to yeah. carry a little bit more. Because yep. I don't know that musically I was super impressed. Not my favorite, but not bad either. I mean, I should say I got lost in the vocals and the lyrics. The music probably fell to the wayside, because that's yeah. the way I listen to music anymore. But, I mean, it's got a kind of ominous message in the lyrics. Last Day of Summer. Got that acoustic back out. The little uh, electric guitar also layered in. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how, but I knew this song. Before starting to listen, the first time I listened, I'm like, I know this song, but I never could figure out how I know it. Sad vocals, sad orchestra, but for some reason, the bouncy cure guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? <laughs> like the poppy bouncy cure guitar, but then everything else kind of, ugh. I guess that's kind of where I got, because I, I noted that it kind of feels like a start to a B-side. I mean, they aren't doing that anymore because of the like generation that it is. Yeah. But I could feel this is the start to like side B of a cassette. Oh, maybe it. This one might actually be my favorite on the album. I really liked it. Yeah, it's a good song. There is no if dot dot dot. Uh, my first note on this one. It started immediately. Yeah, it did. Which is which feels very weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a little out of place for them to <coughs> fade in of some sort. Yep. I mean, it's a love song. Yeah. It bounces around, sort of guitar ballad. Like it's kind of noisy soundscape in there some it it felt very reminiscent of I, I can't name the album exactly but one of the older albums like i feel like this would have fit in one of the like early 80s albums no i see what you're saying now yeah yeah for that we got the loudest sound this starts off feeling like it's going to be a dance club tune it really does the, the, the background feels very it's the uh, digital hi-hats man yep i mean who else uses digital hi-hats but like dance club music and rap and apparently the cure. But it doesn't stay that way at all. Nope. It goes into kind of a cure soft rock song. If you honestly didn't pay attention, you might think that this was actually just an extension of uh, There Is No If. Yeah. Because I know I could I caught some of the vocals on this and vocally, thematically, they're yeah. vocally kind of the same very song. similar. You know? It really can feel oppressive sometimes. Yeah. I did note that, to me at least, the vocals kind of hold the song together and kept me involved through the whole thing. 39, the... Uh, Bass intro with the noise effects reminds me a bit of a Hey Man, Nice Shot from Filter. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I see it. Uh, I like the way they kind of blended some industrial sound into their own. Though I'm sure 
most industrial performers were probably huge fans of The Cure. First. I would imagine, yeah. You know I mean, I tend to not really like industrial too much, but it, it worked well in this song. Very, I mean, very well. Smith's vocals, I think, are strong on this performance. After listening, like, this is, I, I noted in this, this is the first time I've actually done any research on a specific song. Wow. Because I was curious about the name. Uh, you weren't curious about why it sounded like, hey man, nice shot? No, because <laughs> most music sounds similar in some degree, in some way. That's true, most songs do sound like, hey man, nice shot. Yeah. But, uh, no, it, and in, in looking, I didn't look too deep. Uh, apparently he wrote this song on his 39th birthday, which is where the name 39 came from. As soon as you started talking, I assumed it was his birthday. God, he's a bit of an egomaniac about the age. Because yep. he's mentioned it, there's a, a few of these albums that he mentions, like the one, was it Disintegration he tried to put out before he turned 30, because yep. yep. could never make. Because you could never make anything after 30. Yep. I think there was something else too, previously, at least a song title or something, where he was worried about getting older. You're out there 60 with your wife. Yeah, <laughs> he's real focused on that, that age thing. Like, Afraid to die. Dude, it's a number. I thought goth kids were into death. I could have done without the uh, guitar solos near the end. Yeah. I think it would have been more interesting to lean more on the industrial noises. Yeah, kind of focus on that instead of the... And this is where I finally figure out the the sort of finality of the album. Yeah. It's prominent with the fire is almost out lyric, particularly in this song. Right. But it seems like throughout these songs, Smith is communicating that he is able, either not able to keep creating music, or it's feeling like he doesn't think he'll be able to anymore. Yeah, actually in one interview he said while writing the song he felt that there was nothing else to sing about. (laughs) I really fucking nailed it. Yep. (laughs) So it took me all the way to the last song to finally get the theme of the album. (laughs) Last song, Blood Flowers. Going back to putting the title track at the end for the last one. actually having a title track at all. Again, when I did the notes, I didn't know that this was supposed to be the final album. Yeah. Or else it'd be like, oh, well, that's cool. They harken back to the very beginning. You know what I mean? I looked back. real quick. They hadn't done that since the album, The Top. Yep. I really like the percussion at the beginning of the song. Yes. It's It starts off from the go, a good outro song. Probably the most goth song in the album and possibly on the last two albums. Yes. It doesn't kind of slide, slide over into that wall of sound territory. It almost, like, this song to me feels like he's kind of singing about the end of the band, but that it won't completely die. Right. <laughs> They'll live on, quote, in their discology. So, Matt, what'd you think overall? Oddly enough, so I, I my overall I kind of do while I'm listening, so through the course of the thing. I, yeah. My very first note is, I feel like they definitely found their sound in this album, which yeah. is weird. <laughs> it is, because I feel like they found it several times over the course of They found albums. different sounds. <laughs> you mean like they found it after following up Wild, wild Mood, mood swings, swings, where yeah. Wild Mood Swings felt like they were again doing maybe trying five or six different things? That's true. Yeah. They do that. If, I mean, they do that throughout their career, really. Yeah. Which, you know, that's not the worst thing. So you get a clunker album from a band. They work it out. If they work it out within the next album, it's like, well, that was yeah. worth it. And I see the progression here. This is a similar case of, you know, last album didn't feel super great because it felt kind of wild. And I mean, honestly, everywhere. I did. That was my first note was that it feels like they refined the acoustic and straight-ahead rock songs that were on Wild Boost Swings for yep. this album. And then this next one, I really do wonder if Smith thought this might be his last album. Yeah. No, and <laughs> I mean, it's going to kind of ruin all my overall thoughts to research after doing the notes. Yeah. Again, reading through the lyrics and everything in a bubble feels like the end of the band. But if you don't know that ahead of time, like, 
all goth bands talk about death and yep. endings. It's always a theme in these albums, so, you know, it's no true indication that this was the last album, other than, like, oh, well, they're... They're kind of, this sounds kind of depressing. Well, that is the cure, so yep, that, <laughs> how would you like know that, for sure unless they did announce kind it? Of the point of goth, I think, <laughs> you know that, supposed to have that depressed sound. Outside of that lyric I quoted earlier, the other big one for me was the, it used to be so easy, I never even tried. Like, that was the yeah. other lyric that kind of hit home, like, oh yeah, this guy's fucking Yeah, dumb. he's done. <laughs> yep, yep. He doesn't, he's just, he can't do it no more. Yep. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is one of those cases where reading the lyrics kind of bit me, because... Yeah, it was probably even more, like, the fact that I'm catching on to lyrics means the lyrics probably, I mean, seem to be pretty prominent yep. on this album. Like, they want you to listen to that part of it. It's like they were focusing on sending the message that it might be done. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Last Day of Summer, like I said before, was my favorite. I liked 39 and Bloodflowers. I mean, I'd give them a listen. But I don't think I would listen to 39 Bloodflowers too much. I think I'd give Last Day of Summer a few more listens. Yeah, I think that's... I'd probably listen to the album as a whole occasionally. Right. But... That's pretty high praise, honestly. Which, I, I mean, I I don't listen to whole albums of any band. <laughs> yeah. And that was my thing, too, though. Actually knowing that this was their final album... Because, I mean, I'll give my rating in a minute. I maybe would have went slightly higher because I think they did capture what a last album maybe should be. Yeah, they kind of they kind of captured the farewell album. Yeah, I think they wrote songs that like the hardcore Cure fans would enjoy a lot. Oh. And while I wasn't blown away with all of them, it was, it was a stark improvement over Wild Mood Swings. God, yeah. it was so much better than Wild Mood Swings. It's ridiculous. Yeah, overall, I'm going to give it a three. I would almost suggest to a four because of now knowing that. Right. I think I think I'll still stick with the three. Honestly, I give this one a four, but that's probably because of the focus on the lyrics. Right. Lyrics and vocals are definitely the thing I pay atten- more attention to, and since this album was so much more focused on it, mm-hmm. I think that's what drew me to the higher, probably four out of five. Yeah. Got anything else, Matt? I don't think so. Alright, I guess, uh, what's our next match play? Hey, don't worry, I got it. Awesome! (laughs) Matt mentioned earlier he's running short on a list he had. It's true. How about Stars? Bands are? Hum? Hum? Yeah, they're a 90s band. Damn, you ain't never heard this song? Well, you're in for a treat. Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. Podcast favorites, Skillet. God. (laughs) And the musical... The Miserables. Okay. Got anything else, Matt? I don't think so. Let's go disc. Please follow us on Twitter at Frisky Discs. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts.